Welcome to the PR Endurance Training Podcast, Episode 9. And today, we're going to talk about Everesting and Laundry. Yes, what a wonderful combination. And I'm your host, Roger Hospitalis, with... Paulina Allen. All right, so... I know if you haven't been following along, Paulina, Coach Paulina, is or it conquered the Everesting feat in the summer. Well, I should call it almost fall. But uh, yeah, so I know a lot of people have been asking about or asking her about all how did she do it and getting the details because they're interested in doing it as well. So we figured we'd put out a podcast talking about these things. That way you can get some tips from an expert. So. Mm-hmm. Paulina, first of all, for those who don't know what Everesting is, what is it? Um, well, Everesting is, uh, it's an epic adventure that you do on your bike. You will pick a hill, any hill, and you're going to do hill repeats on that hill to accumulate 8,848 meters of climbing, which is also just shy of 30,000 feet of climbing. Um, the rules are you can take as long as you wish. Um, you can take as many rests as you wish, but you're just not permitted to go to sleep. And that's basically it. And you just go out and you round up any friends that you can. They'll come out and do it with you. Perfect. Now, mm-hmm. now why did you decide to do it? Um, I think I decided to do it because, um, you know, like this summer, we know like a lot of things had changed and we didn't have any events or races going on but I still like to challenge myself so I decided that this was something that I was going to do it was a bit of an underground movement that had um, originally started in Australia uh, several years ago and I'd heard about it I kind of thought it was crazy but then when I really put my mind to it and I started thinking about it I, I knew it was going to be my end of summer adventure perfect mm-hmm. now I know recently since we get more people in, into lockdown on yeah. things happening virtually so i don't know if we want to talk start off with that um so you know may, maybe as you maybe contemplate whether you do it inside or outside you're gonna need to do some preparation so let's start maybe with how to train for this thing so whether you're doing it outside or inside is there going to be a difference sorry is i are you asking yeah. me, is there a difference yeah. between yeah. inside and outside? Well, train inside versus outside. No, I think you still need to put the time in because you're going to be spending a lot of time in that saddle. Um, so you are. Uh, the difference is, you know, you can choose your different platforms. As we've discussed, there's many various virtual worlds that you can ride on. Um, since I ride on Zwift so much, there's two climbs. No, actually, there's about four different climbs that you can do. There's the Mont Ventoux and the Alpe du Zwift. And then there's the KOM, which is about 96 hill repeats that you just have to do. So I think, um, you know, you've got to decide if you're doing it outside, you need to pick a hill that means something to you. You can't just go out randomly and find some hill and say, this is the one I'm going to do it on. I think when the climbing resonates and has meaning to you that makes a difference because in the summer I went to various different places and did my hill repeats and some of the hills worked and and some didn't and then I came down to the one that was going to just be bang on for me and the same with the the virtual I think you need to get on and write a couple of the different ones because um with the virtual writing if you're on um a smart trainer you have to have your trainer at a hundred percent so you're going to feel some of those different climbs, especially, um, you know, when you're on those 15% grades. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd be saying. You got to kind of really plan out and decide which is going to be your course. Mm-hmm. For I sure. hope, did I answer that for you? Yeah. Well, yeah? I'm, okay. I've been sitting here, I'm thinking about it as well. So I know a key difference would be if you're going to do it inside versus outside. If you're not a good descender, then inside is going to help you a whole lot, right? Uh, especially the hill you picked up by scenic caves right so that's another factor like you can hit the same route that you know, try what paulina tried and that's uh we may offer that in the summer we'll get to that later yeah but it requires some skills to go down that particular road or any particular road you might pick i agree with you on that yeah um 
that one um, in the middle of it, you've got a 12% grade and there's about five corners that you're going to be um, taking. So you can really pick up your speed. So I think I occasionally was seeing around the 80 to 85. I couldn't go any higher than that <laughs> because uh, I'd be coming into another corner and then I'd have to scrub the brakes. So that's another thing that, you know, as you just touched upon, like the hill that you're going to work on, because you know that you're going to be getting fatigued, you got to know that you can descend um, with care coming down some of those climbs. Versus um, if you do it online, I'll tell you, Alp de Zwift, it takes roughly 10 minutes for your avatar to descend. So I know many people who have just, this is the time where they actually get off the bike, they might go to the washroom, they might have a quick shower, they're gonna get some calories in, they're gonna stretch and maybe do a little bit of yoga and then jump back on the bike um, in that 10 minute break and then get their avatar to turn around. That's not something that I would personally do. I like to keep the legs spinning ever so gently because um, I think it just kind of keeps things moving. I know for me, if I get off the bike, I start to get stiff. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because clearly that's one of the strategies you can do. Because at least in Zwift, you can go downhill. You don't have to, it, it moves. You really have to yeah. do anything. Yeah. And use yeah. group, right? As opposed to real life uh, Everesting, where mm -hmm. you have to, the bike's not going to go down. <laughs> Although you can just sit there and do nothing too, right? But yeah, uh, it does require some skill at least to get down the hill. Mm -hmm. It was funny because when I did my Everest, um, you know, my first, you know, 10, 15 coming down, I, I was quite careful about my speed. And then I started to notice as I got into like lap 36, 37, I was just like, oh, I just want to get down faster. Let's just get this over and done with. So I started to throw the caution out to the wind at that point. But I think, you know, by the time you've done 42, you kind of know your lines that you're going to be taking yeah. coming down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I know other platforms, for example, like Ruby. Yeah. That might be more vicious of a platform The because uh, I've talked about it. it it's a ton of uh, climbing on that platform. Yeah. Uh, Europe. I, I'm pretty sure I did Everesting a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Those routes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that look like 20K on paper and take you four hours to do things like that. It's just it's just nuts. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's just mapping out the route and seeing what is most beneficial to you and what is realistic. Yeah. Well, uh, now, how did you particularly train for it? I mean, I, I know a little bit, but uh, for those thinking about tackling this. So let's say today I look this up, I see some stuff online or I'm looking at it during the summer or mm -hmm. the spring. What, how do I approach training for this thing? Um, I think it depends. Everybody's different, Roger, I would say. And then also depends on how much, um, you know, cardio in the bank that you have. Um, that's how I always classify it. So um, for me, I'm a big believer when you do an endurance event, it's about consistency and frequency. So it's about slowly building up. And that's what I did. So, for example, right now, you'd want to be, you know, getting on the trainer and writing and trying to week, if you will, um, maybe doing some hill repeats. And it's also for that mental practice of going up and down the, the same hill. And then as you start to progress outside, um, building up on, on your climb. So, for example, I would go out. And I started with, you know, 10 repeats um, because the next day I wanted to cycle. And then I would do 12 repeats, 15 repeats, you know, up to 20 repeats. Um, and then I moved up and I progressed to uh, a half, my half base. So I half Everested. I wanted to see how that felt and how my body responded. And within that period of time, you're also trying to figure out your nutrition when you move to the half base. And then I was looking at my pacing. And so I ended up half Everesting three times before I did the full. And I don't know if I'd, by the time I had, I honestly think by the time I had done the first half rest, I was ready. But then I'm going to tell you something. I went out with a couple of guys and um, 
they were all about like, oh, we're going to hammer this hill. We're going to kill this hill. And I was racing that hill with them and my heart rate was through the roof. And then, then I think by lap seven, I said, like, I have to back it off. And I think on lap 19, I ended up with a full on cramp and I fell over. So that's when I realized like my heart rate and my power, more my heart rate was going to be really important for me. So there was a lot of learning curves in there and keeping a lot of, uh, I'm not big, like, you know, I don't keep a lot of the data, but I do keep more things like with my heart rate and how I felt and the, the pacing that was going to work for me. So the, the racing up the hill, that was just an absolute no go because I don't really think you can race up Everest until you've done it a couple of times. Um, and then just learning it's, you know, it's like an Ironman. You never, if you, you've got anybody and they've never done an Ironman, you never say like, you're going to go out and race it. It's, it's always more about accomplishing it and finishing on the day. Mm-hmm. Over to you. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So quick, clearly you can't, well, you're talking to a, a crazy person because yeah. I would, I would probably just wake up one morning and just go try and do it. Uh-huh. But again, I'm, I'm not just rolling off the couch. I'm Exactly. Come on, Roger. You've been doing this for years and years and years. So you, you've got that and you've done, I don't know how many Ironman you've done, but you've got that mental part in your brain that you know that you can push yourself. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the only reason I would like, I'm not, I don't have 1% of, or even thought of doing this, but I oh. know I could one day and think of, yeah, I'm going to go do it. Cause I love climbing. Yeah. But not necessarily this much uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like blasting and, and things like that. But I see the challenge of it. Right. So mm-hmm. the matter of maybe I might feel that one day, um, the same way that I felt with like a, running a 50 K or a hundred K or whatever. Right. Just has come into your mind. So I'm looking at, you know, like you talk about, obviously, the preparation, you, you know, most can't just go out and do it unless they have a big base already. And it's just something they can easily slip in as a challenge. Mm-hmm. So he's talked about multiple times. So for someone to think about that, yeah, it, it's seeing what maybe power, what heart rate and, and what things might work for them. So they're able to sustain that effort rather mm-hmm. than. Uh, feeling strong as normally you would feel strong the first bit and then it's that it's a later half that's where it comes to get you right exactly yeah um I'm gonna you know I think the three times that I have to I I gotta say I, I felt really good um but I could not get cocky about that feeling because I had done so much reading um uh, about the full Everest and I knew that it wasn't going to get me on the half and I thought maybe not even by the time I got to lap 30 it was going to get me on that real back end and I think first of all we should say so I climbed scenic caves yeah. um, it was 1.6 kilometers that I climbed um, and this was up in Collingwood 42 repeats and that was just shy of 200 kilometers so um Prior to me going out and, you know, accumulating all, all those meters in my rides, I was going out and I was doing a lot of, you know, 150, 180, even 200 uh, flatter routes because I wanted to build up the endurance in the spring and early summer. And I think uh, one of my longer rides was 330 kilometers because I, I wanted to get in around a 10, 10-hour 10 ride. Um, you know, as I had been planning this out. So I just wanted to get that feeling of, you know, overreaching and over distancing on the bike to know that, you know, I could do it on, on my actual day, if you will. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the other importance is that you had a goal in mind that you want to take down one of the top times, right? So it's a different approach. You want to be, have a great idea of what you want to do, what pacing you can manage. Mm -hmm. Versus, say, a, do- a doofus like me just going up and just doing it with, <laughs> with, no, with no time goal and not even looking anything up and just, yeah, how many laps I got to do? All right, good. I'll just try it. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. That approach, right? So there may be some people with both approaches, right? Like uh, they want to finish in a certain time or take down one of the best times ever or, or things like that. 
And you know what? Let's touch upon what, how, how long did it take you? Uh, 11 hours and 17 minutes. And, and what you I, I ha- in the world or Canada? Let's say. Oh, okay. All right. So um, that ended up placing me first overall in Canada, first mm-hmm. woman and seventh in the world. And that was as of um, the first week in October. And I haven't looked, Roger, and I don't want to look. <laughs> it got taken away okay right. yeah this stuff's happening all the time right like, it oh. is oh my gosh it, it's happening all every week now the numbers are going through the roof right. yeah I ask because I, I intentionally did not look it up <laughs> all right okay so, yeah yeah um and that's the thing it, there there is an official web page for this right um it's called everesting challenge and you get on the virtual wall of fame and that's where you can go in and you can pull up um you know, the worldwide information. Um, so going into the Everest, uh, the Canadian top female time was 12 hours and 30 minutes. And so I thought, okay, 12 hours, and she was young. So I thought maybe 12 hours, 20, 12 hours, 15 for myself, because I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I thought, you know, I'll need to get off the bike and I'll need to eat and all the rest of it. And so then I had done all these calculations of, I had to ascend and descend my climb in 15 minutes. So I was allowing myself 12 and a half minutes to climb and then two and a half minutes to descend. And that would also allow me to get a bottle pass up or, you know, if I kind of um, gained any extra seconds, maybe I could jump off the bike and stretch or grab something and get it in um, more effectively. Yeah. Now, the thing is, you yeah. can have all those plans, Roger, and they'll right. stick. Yeah. Yes. Part of the preparation clearly would be nutrition. And that's one of the things, too, that you can't just – that's why it would be good to try this a couple times, some lead up, just the pacing, just the nutrition, what you might need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, especially as the later stages, again, we always feel good at the beginning. and oh, then yeah. It, it's the nutrition, what happens later on. So – if you feel so, sometimes the mistake, again, in Ironman racing or racing is that people feel so good, they skip their feed, and it comes back to bite them later. So it's all about being, I say, regimented and uh, finding out what will work for you as well. Oh, yes. You better believe it. Um, you know, and you, you know, we've been to so many races and we've seen, you know, the effects of what nutrition can do to people. Um, so I think because I had been doing so many long rides, I kind of had my nutrition pretty much down packed. I, I will confess, I've never had any nutritional issues when I've done Ironman. I've kind of got one of those stomachs of steels. Um, but I did get a little surprised with the Everest. Um, so I'd had um, everything planned. You know, I was getting my bottle of water and then okay. I was doing... You know what? Uh-huh. I'll interrupt you for a second. So yeah. So we can get the whole picture. All right. Yes. Let's think about before, the night before. Yes. Let's get a picture of what you would have. And that night people could follow. But, you know, it gives people an idea at least. So what did you have the night before? Okay. Well, I started to prehydrate um, nearly three days out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the weather, and this was another thing. I had also decided to not do it on an extremely hot day. Okay. So, um, because I was losing too much fluid and I just couldn't get enough fluid in. And I think I had dropped over five pounds of fluid on a hot ride. So that was going to be a no go for me. Um, so three days out, I had started being a little bit more aware of my hydration, um, my water with um, electrolytes. And just staying on top of that. Now, the night before, I actually did eat a pasta dish. It was a gluten-free um, cheese pasta. I don't really eat a lot of pasta, but um, I had that around uh, 5 o'clock and then went to bed early. And I think I still had a liter of um, electrolytes uh, while I was in bed before I went to sleep. Then I got up in the morning And I had a 500 milliliter bottle um, with more electrolytes again as a a preload. I had that about an hour beforehand and I had a little cup of coffee and some breakfast, oats and yogurt. And I was too excited to get anything else in. 
So I, I think um, for the full Everesting, I was much more pre- prepared versus my halves where I was kind of winging it. But for this, I decided to take the, the, the lead in a lot more serious with, with the hydration. And I think that's something that we miss out upon. And when I say hydration, um, not just like drinking tea and coffee, okay, because they're going to strip you of things because you're always going to pee a lot out. Also getting my water in along with um, my other drinks. And I tend to drink a lot of F2C, my Hydra and my salts. Yeah. And I'll interrupt you before going on. That's something mm-hmm. obviously that uh, we recommend I know I do with mm-hmm. uh, athletes for example during the race week to start sipping on things like that during the week just you know it's, it's not going to harm you uh, mm. just have you know a light electrolyte drink before F2C came along I think I used Scratch that very low uh, calorie it just had the electrolytes in there or even yeah. before it was pick up some Gatorade G2 or whatever it was, right? That, that yeah. horrible. The, uh, <laughs> but it was low calorie, um, but it got the electrolytes in there. It was yep. very cheap. But now for sure, the hydrodurance hydro is perfect. Yeah. Um, it, cal- it's light in calories, yeah. 40, 40 calories, you know, or you could just, you know, even put half a, half a little scoop. You got 20 calories and you're just, you're just adding a little bit of flavor to your yeah. water because not all of us like to sip on water all day long right i would never in fact i never drink <laughs> straight water. <laughs> maybe a, mm-hmm. it's always something in there yeah and yeah and that hydro came along it's uh yeah it's perfect it's got all electrolytes in there so you don't only have to think uh-huh yeah all right so go back okay. to your roger i lost you oh yeah oh no i'm here Oh, you're there. Okay, sorry. Sorry. What was the question? Yeah, you're continuing. Mean, I know I shouldn't interrupt it, but you're talking about your routine. So I think it was the day of. Um, yeah. So the, the night before, um, I actually had all my bottles prepared. Um, I had a cooler. I think I had about, I had a lot of bottles in there. And I had three extra liters of, um, no, there were four liter bottles of water at, um, three great big cartons filled the, the car looked ridiculous you'd have thought our car was packed that there was about 100 cyclists out there and it was only me um but i think you just you just i like to be highly well prepared and organized i also had a bit of a, a chart written out so my plan i was really fortunate my husband came out bless him he's my number one fan steve fleck he came out and he stood on that hill for 11 hours <laughs> And he, he handed me a bottle on every lap. Um, so we're, we're very intuitive with one another and he, he knows exactly what I, I need. And um, I think I had, uh, oh, he, he had it all written down, but he was shocked at the amount of fluid that I had actually gone through. And you know what, Roger, I, I will say he, he started to see, I never thought I had salt come out on my clothes but yeah. he started putting in, I don't know, Glenda's probably going to be blown by her mind, but he was putting like a tablespoon of salts in at one point into one of my bottles. And I can't tell you, like, it tasted magical. <laughs> but, um, but I needed it and I never cramped. So that was a good thing, as warm as it was. But my clothes were crusty white. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's also a good sign that you need it, right? Like when you have that extra salt and it actually tastes so much, so awesome. Uh huh. That's when you know, like, yeah, you you needed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Um. So what else about the nutrition? So here's the the key thing, and I did a lot of reading about nutrition. It's going to get you in the back end, the same. With the Ironman, you know how, and anybody that's doing like 100K runs or b- big endurance rates, we always say you got to get the calories in early. So um, from the minute I started to climb, so I would climb up and then I did my descent. I couldn't drink on the descent. A lot of people are going like, oh, that's when you're going to get it in. But I had to have both hands on the handlebars just to control the bike coming down. So then when I do my little turnaround and I was climbing back up, that's when I would take um, a bite. And I was eating these um, fig bars. They had over 250 calories, um, a bar. 
So I could maybe get in half a bar at just at the bottom of the, each climb. And that was what I stuck to. I will say I haven't eaten one of those cliff bars. I mean, the, the fig bars since then, I never ever want to look at that bar again. But on the day, it did the job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, for those who may think, all right, I've, I've used uh, liquid only diet, say, at an Ironman thing. Uh-huh. But you use, but again, you have a different strategy. Everyone's different, right? Because I don't, but I know for a fact, if I have to go for, well, <laughs> let's call it 12 plus hours on that climbing, I'm probably wanting to have a variety of things. Yeah. Uh, and, and the feeling of fullness at some point, uh, you know, just and not just stick to liquid. Yeah. Something that you played around with or just knew that that's what you needed. Well, no, on um, my two half Everests, I had actually only used liquid and mm-hmm. um, just a couple of gels. Um, and I tend to be quite lucky that way where, you know, but then on the other hand, when I say I'm only using liquids, um, if you're using the five and one, which is your five carbs and one protein, I could often put a thousand calories in, in one bottle and then my other bottles would only be water. So there you're getting really condensed um, calories. So that's good. But after my half Everesting, oh, I'd have this sense of just hunger like no other. So that made me realize that I was doing something wrong within the, the, the half Everesting itself. And then just with all the reading I had done, I hadn't seen any guys that had um, been just doing it on a liquid diet. So I did do another practice run where I was using the, the fake bars. And I yeah. thought, okay, this is good. They, they sat pretty light in my stomach and they weren't too heavy. Um, and, and so that's how it worked for me. But again, you know, that's why you do all your prepping and planning and you have to get these training rides in because that's the only way that you're going to learn what's going to work for you. Yeah, but yeah. And going back to that, I can't remember if you specifically noted FTC 5 to 1 earlier, but I think you tend to like that product no matter what. Like uh, I know. Even if, even if it's an ordered type of ride. Uh-huh. Um, I've had that in a short ride. Um I've, I've even had it just for breakfast. I, I put it in the blender. I love the flavor of it. I don't think you could get anything more tasty than that. What flavor is that? Um, I like the mango. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And um, by our yeah, dog. So, uh, all those <laughs> wonderful. Oh, so we've talked about, you know, feeding during. Now, after it was all done. It was just uh, a simple reward. Did you stay healthy with your post-race uh, food? Do you want the truth? <laughs> no, I want lot. <laughs> I went to Harvey's and I got a burger and onion rings and French fries. That, that's perfect. <laughs> and that is the truth. Um, did I? Could I taste it? Mm, n- not really, um, but I just I knew I had to get something in. But the onion rings were really tasty. Yeah, and that would that would be my food to to go up it. <laughs> oh, um, you know what? I do know some other guys who Everested on Sydenham, and they actually did have a burger. Um, in, in the middle of their ride, they said yeah. it was the worst thing that they could ever do, and um, I'm gonna agree on that. Yeah, you're just gonna yeah, yeah imagine, imagine eating something like that. Yeah. Probably feels like a good idea at the time, and then, it, uh, as they say, it comes back to bite you. Exactly. On the yeah. green bat. Um, yeah, probably won't go well. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about expectations. So let's be realistic. I know, uh, for example, some if people look at leaderboards and, and things like that and trying to conquer people's times and, and things – what particularly should they really think about in, in evaluating what where they are now versus what they're able to do? Now, and what does it take, for example, to get to that point? So, you know, you obviously, <laughs> a, a, a former pro, raced mm-hmm. many cycling events on teams and that sort of thing. So, yeah, going after the best time is realistic for you. 
Um, now, if someone decided to call you or call us up and say, yeah, I want to take down Everesting. I want to do it in such and such a time. Um, what are any questions you're going to ask that person to basically evaluate what time they can do and what's realistic for them? Yeah, I think you said like, I think you have to be realistic. Um, so you're asking me if somebody phoned up and said like, oh, they wanted to try and set this record. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, that's uh, all right. I just did an Ironman in 13 hours. Mm-hmm. I see all these everesting challenges showing up online. I want to do it in the summer. Can you help me? <laughs> what? Uh, where do you start? Okay. Yes. But, but, but just to clarify that this person who's phoning, are they trying to go after a record? Right. Exactly. Right. So, okay. It, yeah. That's, that's then obviously a different approach. But if they're trying to take down one of the best times, then then what? Oh, that's <laughs> that's hard. Okay, so some of the best times are around seven hours. But <laughs> these are your top pro guys. These are guys who are riding in the Tour de France who have gone out this summer and decided to Everest. So if some guy has just done an Ironman in 13 hours, um, I'd say we'd be five years off from achieving that goal. Is it there for you? Absolutely. But are you going to do it in the following year? I, um, it's, when it's somebody else's journey and it's their story, it's not for me to take away from them. You know, I, I do like to have that honest chat with them. And I think you have to look at the big grand picture. And especially if they're working and they've got a family and, and all the rest of it. Like how many hours can you train that's another factor to take into consideration. But if you've done an iron, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Roger. Everesting was hard. It was one of the hardest things I because um, I've done over 20 Ironmen and, and I've been really fortunate with Ironman. I've, you know, l- listen, when you do something epic, there's always a little, you go through a dark moment, but I was be able to get out of it. Everesting was jading. It was yeah. much harder um, mentally than I thought it would be. Was I, was I fit doing it? I was very fit going into it. But the mental aspect, I don't know if it was just the repetitions, um, yeah. but I've never been in such a dark spot like that in my life. <laughs> and I still remember it. But my mantra was, you don't stop pedaling until you're in the gutter. And even when I was going ultra slow, it was like, well, I'm not in the gutter, so I can keep, I can keep pedaling. You just keep pedaling, and that's what you have right. to do. Yeah, I hope I answered uh, that for you. Yeah, so yeah, so, so I'm, uh, yeah, you know, I should look this up, but I want to also wanted to play part ignorance on this too. So when you do your Everesting, are you able to do it with somebody accompanying you? Can oh you yeah. Do- oh, okay, yeah. So, like yeah. a bunch of people can try to do it together. Yeah, yeah, a bunch so. of people can try to do it together. Um, you know, I had a few people that were going to do it with me and then they backed out. Um, there was another group of people who did it the week ahead. Mm. But because I had just done the race across Ontario and it had come down to just two of us to complete that event, um, it was only a week away and it was just too much. So I felt like for the effects to sink in, and to gain any of the fitness that I had done with the race across Ontario, I had to give myself a little bit longer break. So to, to Everest seven days later was just going to for me. Yeah. I, I was supposed to have somebody else and then they backed out, which, and that's fine. That, that was absolutely fine because you know what? At the end of the day, I knew that we were not going to be actually riding beside one another and pacing each other because you know it was gonna you just had to go with the flow and climbing is such a personal thing yeah okay i think you should cover and you touch upon it there with steve being there for you right Uh um not really an endeavor you i guess it's not impossible that you can just take your car but with the amount of time you're going to be in there, uh, having the preparation and having the, your nutrition ready, all that stuff. Um, yeah. It's going to be uh, a, an interesting endeavor. And then if you were to park your car to the side of the road, you got to find a good. 
all that sort of stuff. So what are the details that a person need to do or have prepared to take this on, right? And then maybe we'll touch upon something that we will try to offer is that maybe even a, an effervescing type package or your your dream day uh, sort of service that we'll provide at some mm-hmm. um, I think if if you're going to go out, so, so going out there, you need to, um, there's two ways of doing this. You can have the support. And um, I think with me having Steve there and knowing that he'd given up a day to come stand on a hill, he did do some conference calls while he was there, I, I will say. I, I felt um, immense gratitude towards him. And I was so thankful that he was there. So I felt like I had to kind of get the job done, if you will. Um, so having him there actually and handing me up a bottle, I can't stress that just took off the times where I had effervescent and even having the bottles hidden beside a lamppost and me having to bend over and pick them up myself or get off my bike. Every time you have to do that, never stops. So you have to remember that. So, because I, I knew I wanted to go for the Canadian records, having um, somebody there with me, that's what made a big difference. If you're going to go and do this on your own, um, and you know, you're going to have some friends who are going to come out and help you, and you can see a lot of this online because it's great to, to make a big day out of it. Having, mm-hmm. having a plan written up about what you want in your bottles for the, the first quarter, the second quarter, the third, like listing up things of what you want and what you need or yelling out to your teammates who are there to support you on my next ascent, like, can you have this ready for me? Or a range that you're going to get off your bike every two or three laps and, you know, have a cup of tea or, or have more food and sit down and stretch it out. So having a plan is absolute key and letting the other people know what the plan is and then allowing somebody to take leadership on that because you as the athlete at some point are going to completely fall apart but if that other person can be there to give you that support and moral support to keep you going I think that's key and Steve knows me well enough that I could not stop and unless like I'm in an absolute danger and, and crawling only then he would have pulled me, and I mean crawling, pushing my bike, um, would he have pulled me off the, the course and said, okay, like, let's call it a day. But you want somebody that's going to absolutely push you and allow you to finish it, especially because you're going to go, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. And then you actually start thinking like, why am I doing this? And I will tell you, I did think that because I didn't tell anybody and I didn't put it on social media that this is what I was going to do on this day. I just went out and I quietly did it because I think there was a part of me that was worried that I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if someone like you is having those thoughts, then <laughs> some was lesser of a writer and there's going to be like hundreds, if not thousands of people will be a lesser writer than you. Yeah. Uh, so, and again, you did it in 11, whatever hours and change. So uh, another person would uh, clearly be out there longer, right? So you have to put that in perspective too. So you need, like, depending on how long it's going to take you, you need to start real early or else you're going to be riding in the dark. Yes. And this mm-hmm. work is going to be a problem, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> you may need to start at 6 a.m. or even earlier, um, depending on how long you plan to take, right? And then the summer, of course, the, the sun's out long. Yeah. But all these things play into into mind factor as well. Yes. And you know what? The day that I had picked to do it, um, I decided to do it during a weekday. I didn't want to do it on the weekend because I had been doing my training on the weekend up in Collingwood. And the traffic was just sometimes a little busy. So on my descending and when I'd have to turn around, you know, I could be on the side of the road for an extra 20 seconds and and think of doing that 10 times. That's just adding up. So um, I had pushed it into a weekday, but I was online looking to see when does the sun come up and when does the Mm -hmm. sun go down. And um, so I did, I was, I started my climb at 645. So the sun was just coming up and the sun was going to set at 730. So I had that 12 and a half hour range. Um, 
I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely petrified about descending in the dark. So what I did was I emailed the guys in Australia and asked them. And I said, if I'm too scared to ride my bike coming down, because, you know, this is the type of hill where you're going at 80 kilometers. Can I walk my bike down the hill? And I got a very nice reply back that said, uh, you better just ride faster during the daytime because you're not allowed to ride. You're not allowed to walk your bike. So I also had that in the back of my head as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there was all these little details that you have to be aware of. If anybody's going to do it, I'd say do it on the solstice when we've got the, the most amount of sun. Yeah. Mm. Or I know other people who have gotten up and they've ridden more in the dark in the morning. I think I'd rather do that um, versus the nighttime because you're not going to be too worried about traffic either. Oh, and then I had, I did start out um, with, oh no, I didn't use it, but I used it when I did the race across America. Um, Some phenomenal headlights like that does make a difference. Yeah. Uh huh. And I actually did have a light on the front and on the back of my bike the whole time just so that the traffic can see me mm-hmm. yeah. and i could vouch for all that because i knew i knew you were doing it yes i said quite well i know you took me told me a day and then you did during a weekday yeah. and i was uh, oh, clearly at my day job so i'm like watching these updates oh she's doing it today. yeah so <laughs> the, uh-huh. the update yeah it was cool to see and uh yeah it was uh it's something to think about. So if people want to take that on, and I know we've talked about, you know, with, with the way things are these days and, you know, it does look optimistic, but we will have some racing this summer, mm-hmm. but there's no guarantee. But we, again, we put on our own triathlon event in Collingwood yeah. and with more people reaching out and talking about Everest and, and some of these epic days, you, we, I know we've cursory talked about some things and maybe a program that we could offer um, regarding whether it be, you know, Everesting camp and then an Everesting day. So you can have that personalized experience or maybe, you know, as I sit here and think about it, it could be a fun thing if we get a bunch of people, if you have a bunch of people you want to do Everesting with and then we could cater to you and helping you pull this. You don't have anything to worry about. You just show up mm-hmm. and we can have, Christian to decide and, and helping you achieve that as well as as well as uh, training and and a good lead up to that uh, event. Absolutely, I think that would be great. And I think you know, having a group of friends together and achieving something like that, I, like as I was climbing and I got to like lap thirty eight and then lap thirty nine. Not that I have any idea what it would be like to truly Everest. But I can tell you, like, my body, it, I've never felt anything like that in my body before. And I thought, like, could you imagine walking up and being that high up? It's the closest that I've actually ever been able to feel the magnitude of um, meters in, when I'm climbing and riding. So, yeah. and remember, when you do something epic, you're kind of going to the edge. To me, it's like you're yeah. going to the edge of life. And it's about pushing yourself. And there's no greater feeling in the world when you've pushed yourself like that, not knowing that you could actually do it and yeah. to accomplish something like that. Oh, it just gives me the tingles. Yeah. yeah. I think mm-hmm. uh, clearly it's like whether it be their first triathlon or first Ironman, they have that feeling, right? And then you you want more. That's why we, we are in endurance sport. It has that that. Yeah. Challenge, a constant challenge you can always push yourself to go longer go faster yeah what? uh-huh i think you become like the adrenaline junkie right because yeah. you're always looking for that next thing i mean people say like you know are you gonna do well, why don't you double everest and i just kind of think i i don't know i would rather now go out and do this climb again yeah but i'd like to do it faster right. that would be you know can i push my body faster can I trust myself to allow myself to go into those depths that I need to and trusting that that's a big thing for me right mm-hmm. but oh, does anything else you want to touch upon as far as this everesting topic is concerned you think you know I think we've covered a lot I just think people yeah. have got to get out there and, and do it yeah that's right. what I'd say don't overthink it just mm-hmm. uh, you know keep the training simple just go out, accumulate your kilometers make sure you get your meters in 
and, you know, do, do a half. And if you've done the half, then you're going to be ready. Mm. That, that's what I would say. Just you have to know that it's going to get hard. Uh, that's, that's one thing that I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. All right. And then what we will tease here is that look out for one of our posts upcoming and we will create something around Everesting, whether it be a camp and, uh, you know, uh, a, a perform an Everesting day where we can get some people together with uh, appropriate social distancing rules and all those type of things and, and get it done and have your epic day. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't have to be scenic caves. There's actually um, a couple of, there's another hill up there that I'm going to go and test out and it doesn't have as gnarly a Hmm. descend. Okay. Um, More of a a straighter road. And actually, you know, if you've got a straighter road, you can just get down faster. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You want to get, get down as fast as you can and get up as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. So perfect. All right. We've got that for those thinking about Everesting. And I'm going, I know this is actually the topic you want to talk about before. And then I said, eh, let's combine them together. Ah. After you do this Everesting, your clothes are going to stink. Now, this should be a special laundering for your technical clothes. And I know this is a topic you want to talk about and something we could touch upon very quickly as we include yeah. this episode. So what is the the things you want to talk about as far as clothing and your technical gear and laundering it properly. I just want to know what everybody's using because sometimes I get on my bike and I'll start to, to ride. And then as my body gets warm, um, then there's this stench. Like, it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> and then like, I'm like, like grabbing my, my Jersey and I'm bringing it up to my face and it's like, it's my clothing. Um, so sometimes it's just, it's absolutely unbearable, no matter how much personal that I use um, in my laundry. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll take the jersey off, but it's still there because it's just, it's, it's everywhere. So I've used a couple of things. I'm not sure what you've used, Roger. So um, my first was um, good old fashioned. I uh, put half a cup of vinegar in my washing machine. Have you tried that? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Um, I, I will say it kind of got rid of um, that nasty, stenchy, B.O.E. Um, and you know what? First of all, I got to say that my B.O. is quite nice. I, I actually don't, <laughs> I don't mind my smell. Okay. Most people say I smell kind of nice. But if you've been wearing the same jersey and you're washing it like a hundred times, then it's just kind of like doesn't cut it anymore. Um, so I did the, the, the vinegar wash but then I felt like I still had a little bit of a vinegary smell in, in my clothing. Yeah. Fish and chips. Half the time. Yeah. That's what it's not like. Yeah. Then I also tried um, baking soda uh, yeah. because baking soda is another great um, um, thing to remove smells. And I do use it for cleaning and for like cleaning my countertops and my bathtops, et cetera. Um, so that, that was okay. I felt like it left a bit of res- residual in my clothing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I finally spent money and I picked up sports suds. Yep. Have you tried this one? Yep. Okay. Now this one, I got to say this one completely eliminates um, all the odor and it doesn't leave any residual on your clothing. And, um, you know, along with apart from the baking soda, cause it would kind of like get in my clothing and, in the greens in between the knits. I found that the sports sense has not sat in my clothing. So I don't get itchy or I feel like there's any allergic reaction to that product. Yeah. Yeah. I think the key for me anyway, it's just, uh, I you just don't exercise. Yeah. That too. And, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wear things like 10 times in a row before what I'm joking. Um, oh, I was going to believe you. <laughs> short wash all that stuff together and not combining with anything else. So I definitely have all my technical clothes like in a pile together and okay. wash them all together. So I know I've used uh, like the Tide Sport with Febreze. Okay. How was that right? one? I like that one. Uh-huh. And again, sports suds as well. If I run, Basically my Tide is there is a cheaper sort of on standby version. Yeah. And, and, then- can, and can you just buy this sport Tide 
in the yeah. supermarket. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. And then uh, there's Nathan's sort of sport wash. Oh yeah, I've used that in the past. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, those two of them wear the sports suds and then Nathan's sport wash because of running free. So they have those two. Okay. Then I've uh, tried the Tide uh, Febreze one. So those are three I use. I never have problems with the stinky, stinky clothes. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's just every once in a while, then I'll have to do them a really good uh, wash. Um, As for sports suds, I don't know where you would buy that locally. Um, I order it online. Oh, Running Free has it? Yep. There we go. All right. Okay. So perfect. So that is it for this edition of the PR Endurance Training Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Bedalis with Paulina Allen. All right. Uh-huh. You'll yeah. catch next week with our next episode. Do we know what that is yet? Is it number eight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. it will be number what are we looking at? It'll be number 10 because... Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you remember, did a great one. In episode number yeah. eight, a retro episode. And you know what? We'll talk about that for a second before we say goodbye. Um, so I found some old archive uh, audio recordings uh-huh. when I interview athletes uh, post-race uh, or during, you know, all that sort of stuff, previewing races. And I found one with Paulina. Like I said, we talked to each other many times years. And I... Found an interview with her as uh, what race runner of Gravenhurst back in 2012. Yes, that that was a that was an epic race day. Yeah. I remember that. Uh huh. Yeah, and was it Richard Petty? Did Richard he win Pe- though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was a. Uh, uh, yeah, those was- were the days. Uh huh. All right. So that is it. So catch us next week. Absolutely. And just to say, if anybody's got questions on Everesting, if, you know, it's Christmas and the holidays and everything's coming up, um, if you've got questions about virtually doing it, hit us up on our Facebook page and we'll be there to answer you. Any right. questions? Yeah, right? you know, I'll give them the other contact info at PREnduranceTraining.com and mm-hmm. uh, Email us again, questions for that or questions for future episodes as well. We can easily go back and talk about things that were addressed or may not have been addressed in some of the, our previous topics. Yeah, sounds good. And maybe next week we'll be talking about why you should be riding on rollers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chat to you soon. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the PR Endurance Training Podcast. Please visit our podcast page on Anchor to subscribe and to leave a voice message to ask the coaches a question. Maybe you can be featured next time on our next podcast. We also invite you to visit us at PREnduranceTraining.com to find out about our services and to connect with our social media channels. Until next time, be happy, stay safe, stay healthy, and as our friends at Running Free say, believe it, achieve it.